Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Now I find that there are a lot of Marthas around in a couple of different ways. Number one, that there are Marthas that get way too busy working for God that they never take time to spend time with Him, to learn and to grow. That's one of the ways that we want to evaluate. Number two, there are Marthas that want Jesus to tell other people what they should do. Busyness working and even busyness working for God can be dangerous when we don't dedicate time to stop, be quiet, and simply sit at the feet of Jesus. Today on Practical Christian Living, we are learning some important life lessons from Mary and Martha, learning how to grow closer to Jesus while we serve Him with a humble heart. With Luke 10, 38-42, here's Robert Furrow. We can spend time doing stuff that takes away from us being able to spend time with God. And sometimes we are doing so much for Him that we are not able to spend time with Him. When I take trips, when I go on a couple of week trip to, to Israel or on a missions trip, it's funny how your time just clears up. And for the first few days back from a trip like that, you seem to have so much time. But I say that the world slowly closes in on you again. And one of the things that goes out is just being able to spend time with Christ. Well, in this encounter, where in the Bible we first meet Mary and Martha, it's in the last year of the life of Jesus. And it's in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. It says in verse 38, Now it happened as they went that they entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into their house. Now I don't know whether Martha welcomed just him into his house or the the 12 guys that were with them. If it was the 12 guys that are with them, can you imagine preparing food for 13 guys? I heard someone say that it was Lazarus that invited them over. That's not what it says here. It says Martha invited him over. She received him into her home. And what a blessing that must have been to have Jesus come into your house. And she made a whole lot of work for herself, but she made it, right? She's the one that received him into her house. And so she's doing a lot of work. It says that she welcomed him into her house and she had a sister whose name was Mary and she also sat at the feet and heard his word. So Martha invites him over and begins to do the work. And I got to think as I begin to look at this passage that Martha is the older sister and Mary is the younger sister. And I don't know how much there is to the whole birth order thing. I think there's certainly something but when you get someone who's older, when you get the oldest child, they like to boss everybody around. They like to tell everybody what to do. So we find that here with Martha. It says that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Interesting side note, every time we see Mary, she is at the feet of Jesus. It's one of those motifs in the New Testament. Here she sits at his feet and learns from his word. Next, next Wednesday, we're going to look at her anointing the feet of Jesus with a fragrant oil and wiping it with her hair. And then uh, in a couple of weeks on Sunday, we're going to see her falling at his feet in grief as Jesus comforts her and even, even weeps with her. It's interesting that she takes that position and that God reveals so much to us through that. So she sat at his feet and she listened to his word. 
Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. The first thing that we note is that Luke tells us that she was distracted with much serving. It's possible, especially for pastors or people that are in ministry, to be distracted by much serving. We're doing what we do for God. We're working for the kingdom that we are so distracted that we miss the blessing of being in his presence. Now, I think, first of all, it's important for us to understand that God wants us to work for him, that God has called us. God has gifted us. God has put us in a position within the body of Christ. All of us are called to be used by him. The Bible says in Acts 1:8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We know that we are one body, but we are different members of that body and we have different responsibilities in what we do. So some might read this account of Mary and Martha and Mary being distracted with too much work and they might say, I like this story. I think I'm just going to kick back and not do any work at all. And I would say it might be important for us to strike a balance to where we are not working so hard that we no longer are able to sit at his feet and learn from his word, which allows us to become healthy and allows us to become strong spiritually. If we work too much and can't spend time at his feet, I believe that we become less and less effective. Now, when it says that Martha came and said to Jesus, literally, she took a stance over him. Jesus is there in the room. You got to get the picture. So Jesus enters into this house, probably has his disciples with him, although we're not told that. Mary is sitting at his feet. Jesus is talking. Maybe they're discussing something along the road. Maybe Jesus is starting just to teach some of his principles. And Mary is there and she's receiving from him. And here comes Martha. Jesus, don't you care that I am working alone? Which is, I'm not sure a position that I would want to take with Jesus. She felt comfortable enough with him to be able to approach him to say something like that to him. Obviously, he cared. In fact, um, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. You're the Lord. Tell her to help me. Now, I find that there are a lot of Marthas around in a couple of different ways. Number one, that there are Marthas that get way too busy working for God that they never take time to spend time with him to learn and to grow. That's one of the ways that we want to evaluate. Number two, there are Marthas that want Jesus to tell other people what they should do. I've ran into a lot of these Marthas. I've ran into these Marthas in prayer meetings. You go to a prayer meeting, someone starts to pray. God, we know you want us to do this. God, we know you want us to do that. It's as if they're saying, God, tell them that they need to do what I'm doing, what I think they ought to do. She has an agenda for her sister that she wants God to get on board for. Tell her to help me. I wonder if our prayers are ever like that. Are, are you interested in what someone else is doing in their relationship with Christ that you tell God, God, get them. Make them do what I think that they should do. I think that we should not even have agendas for our own lives, much less agendas for other people's lives. I have had people in the past who have been agenda setters for me. 
They'll want to have lunch with me and then they'll sit down and they'll say, you should do this and you should do that and Calvary should be doing this and Calvary should be doing that. And my response was always the same. Oh, interesting. I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. Because the you shoulds, the agenda setters, can crowd your life often. And so she says, tell her to get up and help me. And uh, so then uh, she approached him and said, tell her to get up and help. And then verse 41, Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. I don't think this is a rebuke. I don't think Jesus said it angrily. She's working for him. She's making dinner for him. I can't imagine him saying, Martha, Martha, you're worried about a bunch of stuff. These are tender words. She's working for him. And, and if you are a workaholic in the kingdom of God, then I think that God would call your name two times. Not that I'm a workaholic, but Robert, Robert, you're worried and you're troubled about many things. I, I've always taken time to make sure that I can maintain that right relationship with God. And I've always made sure that I have plenty of, of, of rest, that I don't burn out. I want to do this just as absolutely long as I possibly can for the kingdom of God. But Martha, she was worried and troubled about many things. I wonder when, when Martha, when she went in the house and Mary went in and sat down at his feet and began to learn from him, if she tried to send signals before she marched in and told Jesus to tell her to help him. I wonder if she started slamming doors or putting pots away really loud. I don't know if you've ever done that in hopes to get someone to come out and help you. Or, or you start hearing the racket in the kitchen and you go, do you need any help? <laughs> what do you think? Are, are you okay? Are you mad at me because I'm not helping? But after she marches out there, he says, you're worried about many things, but one thing is needed. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't go out and do the work that God's called us to do for Christ. We do. But there is one thing that is needed before we're ever really going to be effective in doing anything we're doing for him. And he says, and Mary has chosen the good part. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus is the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, this is a good challenge for all of us. What was she doing? Sitting at his feet and learning his word. That's what she was doing. And it's good for us to do our, to do our, our, our quiet times, it's good for us to be disciplined, to spend some time alone with God on a regular basis. I've always tried to be really careful, again, not to set agendas for you, not to, not to lay a trip on you that we don't find in the Bible. So some, some pastors will talk about quiet times and journaling, and if you're not doing this, then you're really not serving God. But the Bible does say, when you pray, go in your inner room and pray to God who is in secret, who will reward you openly. So it's a part of what we do. Reading God's word is a part of what they do. They followed the apostles' teaching, which is what the New Testament is, God's word and God's scripture. So my encouragement is to find some time daily to spend with God, to get alone with him. Some of my favorite things, to go and sit on the back porch, not when it's gonna be 106. But, but when it's nice outside to go and spend some time on the back porch or maybe in the cool of the evening, which you can get a cool of the evening even when it's really hot, to go, and, to go for a walk with God. It's one of my favorite things to do because I seem to not get as antsy. You know, if I walk 20 minutes out, I got to walk 20 minutes back. 
So I walk out and just walk back. And I love that when I go for a walk, I have a tendency to not rush into his presence. I have a tendency to be quiet with him. I have a tendency to not put on facades, which is an interesting thing between working for God and, and sitting at his feet and learning his word. When we're working from God, we can really easily put on a facade. I've got everything together. I'm doing this for God. But when we're with God and it's us alone, there's just something about that honesty. You can't, you can't fool God anyway. So you can almost immediately go to where your difficulties might be, where your sins might be. You can immediately make things right. You can walk quietly before him and then just say, I'm sorry, help me with this. You can just kind of pour yourself out to him. Jesus said, this one thing is needed and she has chosen the best part. It's needed for us to spend some time in his presence. But not only was she spending time in his presence, she was hearing his word. And so it's important for us to partake of the word, which, of course, I am quite literally preaching to the choir today. I guess not quite literally because, you know, you guys are in a choir. But you guys are here in church for a Bible study. And I'm telling you that you need to spend time in the word of God. And you could go, uh, I think that's what I'm doing now. And if I might just get a little bit practical, sometimes when we're studying God's Word on our own, we read it a little bit and we get a little bit confused, and so we might just kind of give up. I encourage you to keep a, you know, a pad of paper and a pencil. Write down what God speaks to you. Put the date down as you're reading the Scriptures. And again, this doesn't need to be laborious. I'm not talking about doing this for an hour. I'm just talking about taking some time to get your Bible out, to get a pad of paper, to write down the thoughts that God would give you. You can do it in your Bible too, by the way. You can mark up your Bible. You can put question marks by it or write down the questions that you have. And even if you don't understand it completely, given time, you're going to get enough other passages. The Bible says that we divide Scripture by Scripture to come to the truth. When I first became a Christian, I was reading the book of Matthew and I came to the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus said to the disciples, some of you here are not going to die until you see the Son of God in His glory. I put my Bible up. I just didn't know what it meant. I knew that Jesus hadn't come back again, and I took that was what He meant by His glory. And the disciples had died, and so I just couldn't figure it out. It wasn't until years later that a light switch clicked on. Oh, two verses later, he says, he took Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration and was transfigured before him, whereas his garment became brighter than any, any launderer could make it. Oh, wait a minute. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his glory before they died. And so you may have questions that as time comes along and you gain more scripture into your life, you begin to understand it clearer and clearer. So she had chosen the best part. And it's not, about, it's not about legalism. It's the furthest thing from legalism. It's about spending time with him that he can work in your life, that he can speak to you, that you can have that love relationship that goes on with him, that, that would take place with him. It takes some discipline to develop new habits. You might do it when you're drinking your cup of coffee in the morning. It might make you pray a little bit faster once you get the caffeine in and you just go ahead and get all the prayer out. But whatever works for you, morning or night or noon doesn't matter that we would choose that best part when we seek him now there is another aspect here that i want to talk about and that is that she sat at his feet and she learned his word 
And I want to just consider the Word of God. Just about some things about God's Word that are, are pretty amazing. Uh, there's, a passage in, in, there's a passage in Psalms, chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, that says, God's Word is like pure gold refined by the fire. And then it says in verse 7, You will keep it, O Lord. Your Word's like refined gold in a fire, and you're going to keep it, O Lord, and you're going to preserve it from this generation forever. God promises two things in the seventh verse of, of Psalms chapter 12. Number one, that he's going to keep it. Everything that God says. There's also a passage that says God's word will never return back void. It goes out with a purpose and it is going to accomplish that purpose. God's got a reason for everything that he has said in Scripture. And God said he will keep his word. But the second part of that verse is so powerful for us because he says he will preserve it from generation to generation. We know how he's preserved it. He's preserved it by His Spirit working through manuscripts so that we have the evidence of what He has given us. That's how He has preserved it. He preserved it by giving us many manuscripts. He preserved it by the scribes of the Old Testament being so meticulous that His Word has been kept from generation to generation. And we believe that when we open up our Bible and we read an account like Mary and Martha and Martha being upset because Mary isn't working, that we're reading what is in the Word of God. When we talk about the Word of God, Mary was literally sitting in front of the Word of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does it mean that Jesus is the Word of God? Well, when you read a book and, or, or the Bible and you read about God, when we, take, we call the Scriptures the Word of God, we're reading about God and we're learning about Him. If you want to know what the Father is like, if you want to know what the Ancient of Days is like, then you look at the Son. The Son is like a book. He's the Word of God. And so the Bible says that the Word became flesh in verse 14 of chapter 1 in John. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. That is, if we, if we want to know what makes the Ancient of Days upset, we look at the Son. We want to know what the Ancient of Days is pleased with. We look at the Son. So we want to know the essence of God. We look at Jesus. And we have four Gospels that cover some of His life and, and almost all of His ministry so that we can get a picture of what God is like. That is who He is. And it comes to us as she was sitting before the Word. And when we study the Word, we learn more and more about what God is really like. Psalms 1 tells us that the Word of God can get into our lives. In Psalms 1-2, it says that the man who is happy or the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted in the rivers of water, bring forth fruits in its season, whose leaves also will not wither, and whatever he does prospers. God's Word, and here it was referred to in the Old Testament as the law, God's Word is so powerful that when we meditate on it day and night, we become like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Those are not easy trees to remove. The ones that are in the middle field, the small scrawny ones are easy to remove. But our roots go down deep when we meditate on God's Word. And what does it mean to meditate on it day and night? It means to have God's Word on your mind. It means when you wake up in the middle of the night that you would think about things. 
If you wake up and you can't go back to sleep, then go back to passages that you have memorized. When I wake up and I've got something on my mind, it's got to happen to everybody in this room, right? And you can't go back to sleep. You know the one that hits me? I think it's Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication, let requests be made known to God. I'll, I'll go over that. I'll take each part of it and I'll break it down. And I'll pray, meditating on God's Word during the daytime and during the nighttime and we'll become like a tree. And the end of this says, and whatever we do will prosper. Whatever we put our hands to will be successful and whatever we do will prosper. And of course, we're talking about real prospering, right? We're not talking about getting rich, although for some of you, God might have that in mind. We're not talking about always being successful in every endeavor, we're talking about prospering as God really wants us to prosper. And that comes from his word. There's another passage that is very much like it. It's in Joshua chapter one, verses seven and eight. It says this, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law of Moses. My servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Again, the idea of prospering from God's word. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, same as Psalms 1, that you may observe to do all that is written in it, that you might, might do everything that's in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will be given good success. There's a couple of differences between this and Psalms 1 as well. This one starts off saying, be strong and courageous. Be bold about keeping the word of God. It takes some strength to say, I am going to keep God's word. It takes determination and it takes commitment. It takes saying, I will be bold, I will be strong, and I will be courageous, and I will do everything that is written in the scriptures. That's the difference between Psalms 1. Psalms 1 says, meditate on these things and this will happen. Here in Joshua 1, it says, be very careful to do all that is written in the law and then you will be prosperous. We don't want to be like that New Testament man that looks in the mirror, sees what's wrong, turns around and walks away and forgets what he saw. That is that as we read the word of God, we determine what we need to do and then we walk away and we don't apply it. We become the hearer of the word and not the doer of the word. I love that Revelation chapter 1 gives us a promise. Whoever hears and does the words of this prophecy will be blessed. A blessing in reading and doing you know, what's in the book of Revelation. I think that God might have put that in there just to encourage people to read it because that's one book that people say, I don't, read, I don't ever read the book of Revelation because I have no idea what's going on there. Another scripture is 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. It says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So see here, Peter uses Jesus as the word of God who lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flowers of the grass, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word, uh, excuse me. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached unto you. He's saying grass withers away, flowers wither away, the glory of man withers away, but God's word will last forever. We are reading something here that has come out of 
the supernatural and into our lives that has been preserved for us to be able to study and to put uh, to put effort into. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.